So anyway, um, I'm glad you don't have to go to work. And uh, here we are. Uh, we get to come on a Wednesday night. Uh, we get to sit at the Lord's feet and glean from His Word and take in and be refreshed and kind of, you know, get re-energized, you know, for the remainder of the week and be reminded of God's goodness. As we were singing those songs, you know, and we're looking at the book of Judges, um, I am so glad, absolutely glad, that God does not forsake us. He doesn't leave us. Even when we're at our worst, He's still our God, and He's still there. And He's just waiting for us to do the very thing that we're going to look at this evening. And we're going to see over and over and over, by the way, right? And so we are reminded of God's compassion, His grace, His mercy, and how it is that when His people turn from their wicked ways and they, they seek Him with a genuine whole heart and ask for forgiveness and cry out to Him, He hears and, and He forgives and He brings healing to those who are broken and He, bring, and he brings us close to Him. Uh, I know that personally. I remember when I um, had run, run away from the Lord and, and how it was that in that place... Truly, the stars are shining, and you know, and you see it. You, you see how it is that the Lord is doing this wonderful work in your life, and uh, and it's such rest. I remember it was that it, it's at that moment to where the Lord picks you up, and you're and you're in His arms, that you just feel rest. I remember at that moment, I wasn't good by any stretch of the imagination as far as my relationship with the Lord, but just the fact that my father had picked me up and brought me in close, was enough. It was like, I, I knew that rest. And from there, it was just a matter of staying close to him. So we're going to see that with the Israelites here in the book of Judges as we are in Judges chapter 3. So let's pray, and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we are truly thankful that you are long-suffering. You are patient with us. It's unbelievable the things that sometimes we we do, and to our own detriment, and our own brokenness, and you are still there. And the moment we choose to repent and ask for forgiveness, you are there with open arms, and you bring us in close. And so, Father, may we continue to see your faithfulness, oh, that, that perfect love that you have for each and every one of us as we study this chapter, Judges chapter 3, and we look to you. Lord, to, uh, to teach us, to help us understand and to apply to our lives to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, let's be reminded, broken people, but we have a faithful God all the way through. So Judges chapter 3 continues to explain the time of the judges for Israel as the first portion. Uh, the first six verses explain that what God desired to do through this time, the, the period of the judges, and then the rest of the chapter covers the period of three judges that God raised for Israel, for Israel to deliver them from being ruled over by other people, other kings. And we'll, we'll see exactly who they are and what it was that the Lord did through uh, Othniel, Eud, and Shamgar. Those are the three judges that we're going to see were raised for the sake of the Israelites. So let's begin in Judges chapter 3, verse 1. Which reads, Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. 
It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal, Hermon, as far as Libo Hamath. They were, they were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. <clears throat> I want to begin by pointing something out that perhaps as you were reading, you thought of, I don't know, because it could be confusing if I don't. <laughs> so I want to be very clear with this. It was clear that God had commanded Israel to take possession of the promised land in its entirety, right? Uh, he, he said to not make concession with any of its occupants, any of the people of Canaan, any of them, they were to drive them out completely, right? We've, we've gone through that. They were commanded to do that. They weren't given any way out of doing that, of fulfilling that commandment. And he was telling them, even as he, um, as he came along and, and he commissioned Joshua, he told him, hey, there is not a man that's going to be able to stand before you. Every place where your foot steps, that will be yours. And so he was very clear, go in and completely possess the land and drive them out from before you. In fact, he said, as you go, I will drive them out, right? And so he was very clear. He told them not to make a deal with any of the nations, no covenants with any of the nations. Don't mix with them. Uh, and the reason why is because they would be led into idolatry and worshiping their gods. And so God was, God was very clear. You know, these are the dangers. These are the warnings that I'm giving you, Israel. Don't do it. But we know that Israel did not conquer all the wicked nations of, Is, of Canaan. It didn't go in, didn't, didn't drive them out. They didn't go everywhere. And there are quite a few that were left behind. The five lords of the Philistines were some, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites. We also have the details as we read of the land where these people were located. Geographically, we know from the north to the south, um, there were many areas where the Israelites had not driven uh, the Canaanites out from. We have five uh, and then in addition, we have more details of the people who were in the land, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, uh, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Jebusites were located in the Jerusalem area. And we're going to learn about the, some of these others as we continue on. But all in all, even though they didn't drive them out, God did not forsake them. You know, sometimes we... Uh, we can look at another person's life and think, how is it that you can, um, how can you live with those things in your life and not drive them out from before you? There were a lot of people that could, could have said that of Israel, right? Because they knew that, that their God had commanded them to drive everyone out and they didn't do it. We can do that. We can be critical of each other also. But be careful. Be careful because 
even though we can inspect the fruit and we ought to be our brother's keepers in the sense to where we bring certain things to, to our, each other's attention, know that there are also those things in our lives that we haven't driven out in our, for ourselves, right? So make sure you approach those situations in a very humble fashion. But rest in this. No matter what, God does not forsake his people. He didn't forsake them. And they failed to do what God had commanded them to do, what God desired for them to, to do. And yet with this failure, what God wanted to do and he desired to do is to strengthen his people and prepare them for additional battles nonetheless. So it's like, okay, here's the situation. I'm going to use this. The Lord had commanded them to do one thing. They didn't do it fully. And so now, what the Lord did with this is, okay, now I'm going to strengthen you. For all those that haven't known battle, I'm going to make you battle ready. I'm going to test you. I'm going to prove you. Not that, that I would come to know your heart, because the Lord knows your heart, right? The Lord knows everyone's. It's so that it would be revealed to them. Reminded of Romans 8.28, where Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Even in our failures, God can use that for good. And it's quite amazing how He can do that. There were plenty of Israelites who were inexperienced in battle, is what we see here. And so God used these enemies that remained in the land to prove or to test these men that they may be strengthened and be battle-ready. But not only did God use these enemies to get Israel battle-ready, He also used them to prove their faithfulness toward Him. These things that were left behind, these, these nations, these people, were, were now being used by God. You know what, what the devil means for bad for evil, to bring destruction. God can turn anything around and mean it for good. Anything. Just give yourself to Him. Follow Him at that point of understanding the circumstances that you find yourself in, and God can can turn it all the way around and bring glory to Him. If they were proven faithful toward Him in their own hearts then they would give themselves to the, battle, the battles against God's enemies. Yeah, that's always that's a, that's a truth in our own lives. Um, if we're proven faithful to God, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes. Whatever confronts us, we'll face. No problem. God is with me. If God is with me, who can be against me? There's always a victory before me. But we need to be faithful toward Him. So, so if they were proven faithful toward their God then no matter what comes their way, they would be ready to face their enemies. It is obvious that Israel was living in a hostile environment, to say the least, right? (laughs) They were definitely living in a very hostile environment. We have seen how they have been confronted by very difficult enemies, and God has gone before them faithfully. Pressure was coming against them from all sides, literally, And yet God never told them to give up or give in to their enemies. 
Oh, this, this one seems to be too much. You know what, if I were you, at this, one, at this point, go ahead and, you know, count your losses and it is what it is. No, that's, that's not the kind of God that we serve. That's what's encouraging. No matter what is before us, you know, for the Israelites, he, he said, wherever you go, no man will be able to stand before you. Nothing. You, Israel, you stand victorious with me. Just go. They were pressed on all sides. And yet, he simply told them, stay the course, remain faithful to the Lord, seek him and know that he is fighting for you. The question for the Israelites is, would this pressure prove to be too much for them? Will they be able to withstand the pressures all around them? I don't know of anyone who likes to battle against the flesh. I I hate battling against the flesh. I don't know of anyone that likes to battle against the world either. And especially against the devil. But in so doing, just know this. When you give yourself to the Lord and walk faithfully with Him and take on whatever it is before you in the name of the Lord, this is what happens in your life. You'll become stronger. You'll be, become stronger in the Spirit as you exercise walking in the Spirit, walking in the truth, being faithful to the Lord. You'll become a stronger child of God walking in faith with Him. Your faith will become stronger. You exercise a little mustard seed that you have, well, you'll realize how faithful God is on your behalf. And you'll grow stronger. Uh, that, that's true in, in the physical and the natural. Uh, when, you, uh, when, you, when you do not back down uh, from a challenge that's before you, uh, you can take it to weightlifting, you can take it to exercising, you can take it to fighting, you can take it to... When you don't back down... And you learn that pre- the pressure that's, that's coming against you only serves to make you stronger as you push back. Then you're more inclined to do it a little more and a little more. And if you're faithful with a little, he'll give you a little bit more. Why? Be- simply because he knows that you trust in him. Not because you're something great, but because he knows that you now know that he's something great. Christianity is not easy. But as we have tribulations in this world, our faith is being built up, and the Christians should be getting better at the fight. Not worse, better at the fight. Shame on us when we back down when something great faces us. Shame on us. We should actually advance and stand our ground that much more. Why? Again, because we know we serve a great God. And no matter what, in Him, we're already victorious. We already are. And as we have the temptations to sin, we're also being built up as we exercise restraint, as we cling to the Lord and refrain from succumbing to the enemy. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. That's tough. Would anybody agree that, that that's tough? Deny yourself? Even on the first point, right? It's like, oh, I have to deny myself? And then on top of that, pick up my cross and, and then follow you? Yeah. Those are the Lord's disciples, the ones who would be willing to do. That's tough. But that is putting the flesh under submission, not to yourself, because that's worthless. Putting it under submission to the Lord. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's pretty cool. In Christ, we can be at peace. Even though tribulation, the, the world is against us. It's all there. and We can have this, this peace that surpasses all understanding. Unfortunately, as we read there, the Israelites did not do well. In fact, verse 6 tells us that the Israelites married the other nation's daughters and they gave theirs to marry um, the nation's men and it happened just as God had warned them. Because this was the conclusion. And they served their gods. God warns against mixing with the world because he knows what will happen. We are told not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it's for a reason. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And what he's referring to there is not, okay, so as the Lord prayed for us, and say, I don't say, I'm not telling you, Father, you know, to take them out of the world, but that you would know that although they're in the world, they're not of the world. All right? We're in the world, but we're supposed to be here as lights. Not having fellowship with those who are uh, of unbelief, but having fellowship, communion with believers, that we would be uh, built up, stirred up, and encouraged in good works, in love toward each other and toward others. But we need to understand what that love is and how it's to be expressed toward others. And we know that by drawing close to the Lord and then being encouraged by each other. So let's continue. Verse 7. So they didn't didn't do well. In verse 7, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the, the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and He sold them into the hand of Cushan uh, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel. Who saved them? Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So, you know, from the very beginning, we see the conclusion of what we just read in the previous verses. That is in verse 7. It was stated very clearly, 
that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. First of all, they forgot the Lord. And this is, this is always, it, it's always like that. You don't serve gods and then forget the Lord. You forget God and then you serve other gods. You, you come into idolatry. And that's what they did. They forgot the Lord and then they served other gods, the gods of the nations they gave themselves to instead of driving them out. And just know that that's always what's going to happen. We're, you know, the spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. Is weak. So you give yourself to the flesh and that's what's going to win out. So God gave Israel into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia. And Israel was enslaved for eight years under this king. Now, Mesopotamia is the area of today what we would know as eastern Syria or northern Iraq in that area. The cradle of civilization. The area that, in fact, Abraham came out of. So it, it's that location. And God actually gave them over to a, a pagan king to serve him. Uh, exactly what they were doing when they were worshiping pagan gods. They had already given themselves uh, to the pagan gods. And all God did was give them to the fullness, into the fullness of their desires. That's it. If you look at Romans chapter 1, it's what the people insist in, in, in doing, that he gives them over to. Um, a debased mind. And completely depraved. Perversion. Just know that it's, it's a, a bad thing when you see someone in just full rebellion. Full, completely in it. Just having no remorse. Uh, their conscience is, it seems to be seared. There's, there's no conviction whatsoever because the Lord is giving them over to that for a purpose. Keep praying for them, but it's for a purpose. It's so that eventually they'll realize just the, the filth and the stench that they're in, the evil of it, the whole thing, and repent and come back to Him. Uh, the name of this king... Kushan, Kushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. It actually it means double wickedness. So Kushan of double wickedness. That's kind of crazy if you think about it. It's, it's like okay, so so you gave yourself to wickedness as you as you gave yourself over to idolatry. Well, I'm going to give you over to be enslaved by this king. Double wickedness. What a what an interesting situation in the name of this king, what it was. And that's always the case when the Lord gives us over to the gods we insist on worshiping. But Israel realized what was going on. They cried out to the Lord after how many years? Eight years. Eight years. <laughs> they finally cried out to the Lord and the Lord responded to their cry. What would happen if Someone was doing that, and then after eight years, they, they come to you. And, I'm so sorry. Forget it. <laughs> That's on you, buddy. Eight years. You waited eight years for that? I'm so glad that the Lord isn't like that. He holds no grudges. Uh, he's not a capricious God. 
the, the moment that we come to that place to where we're genuinely sorrowful over our sin and we repent and we ask him for forgiveness, he's there just like that. I mean, the Israelites, after eight years, they cried out to him. The Lord responded to their cry by raising up and sending them a judge to deliver them by the name, this, this judge by the name of Othniel. It's wonderful. He sent someone. Jeremiah 29, 13, I thought of this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Now, we know very little about this judge, but what is important and what we know is that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's by the empowering of the Holy Spirit that he battled against this king. He prevailed over him and delivered the Israelites. And because of him, they experienced rest and peace for 40 years. And that is because of the Spirit of God. Otherwise, he would have been nothing whatsoever. But he was a judge that was raised by God and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Please know that it is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you and I as believers today. He doesn't come and go today. He comes and he resides and he seals us and keeps us until the day we are with the Lord for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't come and empower us for, for a, a, a few, you know moments or a couple years or hey until we go home to be with the lord he's with us all the way through he seals us and he's he keeps us all the way through he doesn't leave us and so let's continue verse 12 which says and the people of israel again after 40 years again did what was evil in the sight of the lord and the lord strengthened eglon the king of moab against israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So let's stop there just for a moment, and then we'll continue. So 40 years. 40 years Israel did what was evil after 40 years. Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord again. It was at that point that the Lord had Eglon, the king of Moab, gather other kings together, the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and he gathered them together to come against Israel. The Lord allowed that. And they did. They came together. They defeated the Israelites, and they, they took them um, as, as slaves, to serve them, to serve the king of Moab. And he took possession of, what's, uh, what's the city of Palms? What's another name for the city of Palms? It's by the Dead Sea. Those that went to Israel, you can't answer. You cannot answer. <laughs> it's Jericho, the city of Palms, Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if, if there's anyone who, who has gone to, uh, to Israel, or maybe you know, but have you ever seen pictures of Jericho today? You know, you got to take a look at some pictures because it's amazing. As we were going by Jericho, and it was like 
palm tree after palm tree. It was, uh, as far as the eye could see, it was like, it's all palms. And it's, it's truly amazing. And so um, that was, that's why when you see a reference to the city of palms, it's more than likely a reference to Jericho, which still today, it's the city of palms. It's, it's uh, just surrounded by, by palms all the way around. So now, unfortunately, it really doesn't matter how long Israel enjoyed peace because it is always possible, and they did, to fall right back into what got them in trouble in the first place. And they did after 40 years, 40 years of knowing peace, of, of them knowing that God delivered them one more time by the hand of this man that God raised, empowered him, and they, they overtook, overpowered this king. Even then, after 40 years, they fell right back into doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that, to me, you know, it doesn't matter how long I've been walking with the Lord. I need to be sober-minded. I need to be clear in my thinking, uh, watchful, always knowing that the enemy is prowling, seeking someone to devour. The, The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he will wait 40 years until you let your guard down. And he gives you a little temptation before you. And he will pounce on you. It doesn't doesn't matter. You you think that uh, with age, uh, you know, the the temptations lessen? (laughs) No, they don't. They just kind of change a little bit. They they kind of... Uh, morph to whatever it is that would tempt you. That, that's all it is. Age has nothing to do with it. Forty years later, forty years later, they fell right back into it. So they compromised, and then they went full on doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This time Israel served another king for 18 years, and then they cried, cried out to the Lord. So they, it took them a little while longer to cry out to the Lord. The first time it was eight years. Now it's 18 years. 18 years they waited to cry out to the Lord. But they did cry out to the Lord. And the Lord listened. He heard their cry. The Lord was faithful in sending another judge by the name of Ehud to deliver them. Ehud was one, <laughs> one bad dude, right? In a good way. In a good way. So let's read about this judge. Verse 15 as we continue. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right Thigh under his clothes. So a cubit is, um, is 18 inches, so about a foot and a half. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ud uh, had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. 
And Eud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Eud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, and Eud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the, and the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Eud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. It's amazing how no matter what Israel did, God was always ready and willing to deliver his people. And he did it faithfully. God sent, he raised up and he sent another judge. Eud. And how many of you are left-handed? Anyone? Okay, Tom. Yeah, he, he's trying to raise his right hand. Some of some of you are left-handed, so in those times, um, there were, there must you know you were you were probably thought of uh, would have been thought of as having some kind of um, deformity, like there's there's something wrong with you, and so it was uh, it was interesting because even those who were left-handed were were often um, encouraged or forced to to learn how to use their right hand, so they they had to use their their right hand, so. We have all kinds of details here, don't we, in this account? Some pretty wild details. And it starts out by, here's Eud. He's the judge that God raised up to deliver Israel. And he's left-handed. For them, it was some, something peculiar. Now, this judge, he paid no mind to those that were trying to perhaps force him to write and do things with his right hand. No, no, no. Not this man. He used his left hand. And so he's referred to as a judge that was left-handed. I'm not left-handed, but it's just it's interesting how some of these details come across. But we know that that's not a physical defect. That's just how the Lord wired us. You know, some people are left-handed. Some people can, um, like, I remember my son, um, our youngest, Isaiah, uh, when he was uh, very little, and I, I was just kind of pitching to him, and I was seeing, I don't know if he was batting left, right, throwing left, right, and so he uh, he hit right, and I said, you know, what? flip to the other side, and he hit left, and I'm like, okay, go to the right again, pitch to, go to the left again, and he could hit both ways, and I, and I was thinking, oh, that's interesting, go ahead and throw with your left, he threw with his left, and you know, if I throw with my left, I just, it looks weird, right? <laughs> because I'm not left-handed. He threw just perfectly with his left and perfectly with his right. And I thought, wow, that's, what's that called? Ambidextrous when you, yeah. So he, he could do it both ways. But uh, like guitar playing, he flips it to, oh, no. no. See, I do it automatically this way. He flips it the other way. And it's like, wow, that's, that's interesting. How it is that the Lord designs us in, t- in such a way we're each unique and and, uh, and that's not a deformity. This, it's, not, it's just how he 
he makes us. So, But this judge, he was left-handed. He was left-handed, and it was not a physical defect. Well, it appears that he did not learn to use his right hand and did quite well with his left hand. He did quite well. He devised this pretty courageous plan to take uh, this king, the, the king of Moab, out, Eglon. Because Eglon was ruling over Israel at the time. It was required, because he was ruling over Israel, that tribute be brought to him. And a big portion was brought to him. In fact, we know that Ehud um, had to bring uh, people with him to bring this tribute uh, to the king. And along with that, he had this, this sword that was 18 inches long. And he, and he hid it under his clothes on his right thigh so he could reach over with his left. Right? And he hid it, so he had devised his plan. Apparently, also in the details, Eglon was a very heavy man. In fact, it, it's funny, and it doesn't, it's not even PC here. <laughs> now, Eglon was a very fat man. So, quite clear, right? So, he had brought the tribute, but turned at the isles near Gilgal. So, he had brought the tribute to him. Um, he had... All the men with him, he turned around. He was at Gilgal at the place of the idols. And he turned at that point and went back to the king. Came back to the king and told him that he had a secret message for him. I have a secret message for you. It's that point where the king, you know, shh, quiet. Then everyone went out from his presence. And then you told him that he had a message from God. And he certainly did. It was at that point that Ehud drove the two-edged sword all the way through King Eglon, and even, even dung came out, is what we're told. So you could say that, that sword had to have been very sharp, but at the same time, that was incredible strength to be able to go all the way through to where the hilt of the sword, the handle itself, went all the way in and got stuck. He just left it there. Closed the door, locked it, and went out. You could say that that was very descriptive. The servants of the king even thought that he was perhaps relieving himself. And that was why they gave some additional time, and they, they, they were kind of embarrassed because they, they thought, remember the description, the details of it, there was dung that came out, so... Obviously, there was an odor, and so even the servants were a bit embarrassed, is what we read. And so, even that served to give you time to get away. And so finally, they came in and they saw their Lord laying there dead. But that gave again you time to get away, and, he got, and he got, he, they couldn't chase him down. That which enslaves us is always an enemy of God. And he indeed has a warning for our enemies. In fact, as he told uh, this king that he had a message from God, he indeed did have a message from God. In fact, Zechariah 2.8 says very clearly that that God's people are, are the apple of his eye. God's people. And he said in there, in Zechariah 2.8, and I believe 9 as well, that he will shake, the Lord will shake his hand over those who plunder his people. 
So that's why we, we can rest easy. No matter what comes our way, we can stand tall with the Lord and know that vengeance is His. You know, whatever He decides to do, He will do for us. It's our responsibility and we will be held accountable for our actions. We are um, to walk with Him in truth and in righteousness and in holiness. And He will take care of everything. But he truly had a message for him. And perhaps some I know do have, uh, are troubled with this assassination of the king of Moab, King Eglon. The Lord had been quite clear to deal with the evil in the land and they didn't cleanse it, this wickedness and obedience. And now the Lord sends someone who will deliver them, but it will be with a powerful stroke of the Lord. And he doesn't miss or hold back from what he had told the Israelites to do in the first place. See, the Lord had told the Israelites to do, you do this, completely drive these people out from before you. They didn't do it. So when you call on the Lord to do that which you were supposed to do yourself, he will do it perfectly. Remember, it was wickedness. That was before them. And when you call on him to do that, he will do it, and he will do it completely, and he will do it perfectly. And that's what we have. Again, you can go through the, the details of this and, and see how it was that the Lord, even in the details, was doing this amazing work to not only take the king out and set something up here, which we're going to read, uh, but in that he gave... Ehud, the time to get away. That, that's all, to me, it's like, wow, that's amazing, Lord, how it is that you work those things out. So let's continue on and see what, what happens here. So verse 26, Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to uh, Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed, at that time, about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. And so he, we know, escaped, and he led the Israelites against the Moabites to defeat them. But it's interesting, again, the, the details, right? It was not an easy victory, but the Lord gave them into their hands. In fact, he says there in verse 29, and they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites. But then it says, all strong, able-bodied men, this wasn't an easy task. What God sometimes has before us, the battles, it's not an easy task. But with the Lord, even that, in that, you'll see how the Lord's faithful. But this is lasting a long time. This is really difficult. Yeah, well, what's too difficult for the Lord? Would you say nothing? Nothing's too difficult for the Lord. So just stick with it. Be faithful to God. Trust Him. And he will see you through. Just see that you keep your eyes fixed on him. Stand with him, and he'll give you victory. It wasn't an easy victory. 
These were strong men, but they, they laid down 10,000 of them. And look at verse 28. And he, Ehud, said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Follow me. Follow me, but it, it, it doesn't end there. He says, for the Lord has given your enemies. The Lord is doing this. The Lord has given them into your hands. This is a great leader. Ehud would only lead the people where he is going himself, where he was willing to go, what he was willing to do. He, he said, follow me. The Lord has given your enemies into your hands. Follow me. Let's do this. I'm not telling you, you know, hey, the Lord's given them into your hands, so go ahead and go. Go for it. I'll sit back here and see what happens. No. Dude, he, he led the charge. And by, and by going in and being a part of what's going on, he demonstrated a faith in those words. Got it. God has given these enemies into your hand. And just to show you also, he didn't have to say this. He did it by his actions. He said, but just to show that, that I believe this too, I'm, I'm going with you. In fact, follow me. Let's do this. Follow me. Let's do this. Oh, man, what, how encouraging is that? You know, when, when you're filled with fear and you're discouraged, and if you, if you just pay attention, just pay attention. There are those who are willing to go before you. Just pay attention. When, when, you, when you put your eyes on those people that have gone before you, the Lord can use them to encourage you. Certainly, if they can do it, I can do it. Well, maybe I can't do it. But I'm going to go with them anyway and see what the Lord does. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. I don't even know if he's going to use me, but I'm going to go anyway. Okay, I'll go, right? You have this, like going on within you but it's awesome when when you're encouraged and you step out because of the example of someone else that's why it's important you guys have no idea what kind of impact you're making in other people's lives and the things that you do either encourage or discourage others around you don't be a discouragement be an encourager be that person who who is an example of a life of a person that has faith in the lord by the way you live your life Ehud was a great leader. And he was leading the people. He also pointed the Israelites toward the one who was given, who has given their enemies into their hands. And that is the Lord. He said, the Lord's given them into your hands. It's not me. He didn't say, hey, follow me. I'm a great leader. I'm going I'm to deliver them into your hands and, you know, just watch. He wasn't saying that. He knew exactly who it was that had given them over to, to them. And that was the Lord. And with that, he led confidently, and they had victory over the Moabites. And they enjoyed rest for, not 40 years, but 80 years. And then there was Shamgar. <laughs> just one verse, that's all he has, just one verse. And so we close. Verse 31 says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. 
Shamgar's story is a brief one, but a very important one. Shamgar's feat of killing 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Any of you familiar with an ox goad? No? I'll explain to you. I'll kind of describe it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a stick that's normally about uh, eight feet long. It's uh, six inches round on the fat end. Um, it has a pointy end. And on the other side, it has something that's formed like, like a chisel to work, to scrape off like dirt and mud, cake mud. And so that's what it looks That's an ox goad. It, it's a working tool for ox, for livestock, to prod them, you know, to club them a little bit, move them along, and also to flip it around and take the mud off the bottom of your shoes to clean them up, up a bit. It was, so it was a tool. With that ox goad, eight feet long, pointy end, nice and thick on the end, kind of reminds me of a bat, but that's a long bat. Eight, eight feet long, man, you could, you could do well, right? You could hit all the outside balls. But eight feet long. With that, he killed 600 Philistines. 600 Philistines. You don't think the Lord was with them? That's crazy. Let me tell you that. A pen in the hand of a skilled man is a weapon that can serve him well. And, and I say that in the literal sense. Just a pen. Right? And he saved Israel. And, and this, is, this is the encouragement. This is the point often that is made with Shamgar. He did with the Holy Spirit to the glory of God with what he had in his hands. That was it. This eight-foot stick that was normally used to prod and work the livestock. With that, he used, he used that to take out, wipe out 600 Philistines. What he had in his hand he used by God's spirit, by the empowerment of the God, to do that which would bring glory to the Lord. And he delivered the Israelites. He also delivered, just as you did, delivered the Israelites out of the hand of one of their oppressors. That's, wonderful. That's a wonderful uh, lesson for us, that no matter what the Lord places before us, we could use that by God's spirit to bring him glory. And that, my friend, is a good steward of whatever it is that we're entrusted with. Whatever it is that we have. We don't desire what someone else has. We just use whatever we have in our hands. I have nothing to offer you but that which you, the Lord, you, Lord, you anoint and bless of mine. I don't know what I have. It's like whatever I have, I give to you. And as you bless it, you anoint it, I'm going to use it to your glory, whatever it is that I have. So it's a great lesson from Shamgar. Shamgar was a valiant warrior who courageously went up against numerous warriors of the enemy and was victorious against them. I, no, no fear. And if he did have fear, he went out anyway because he know, knew the Lord was with him. So the question for us to close this evening is what do you have in your hand? What has the Lord entrusted to you? What have you been given 
Are you skilled with what you have? That is, whatever it is that you have, submit it to the Lord. Allow Him to bless that and then use it to His glory. The last thing, last question I'm going to ask is, there was a reference to a double-edged sword that you had used. Uh, This double-edged sword... um, we can also refer to it as this, the this, uh, Spirit of the Lord or the, um, I'm sorry, um, the Sword of the Spirit, the Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? So do you know how to use the Sword of the Spirit? We ought to know how to use the Sword of the Spirit because sometimes it's for, it's for delicate things, other times it's to completely plunge it into the gut of the enemy and leave it there. The Lord has given you a way out. Know how to use it and when to use it. And when you do, do it with skill. And that requires us to be in God's word and to know it, that we would be able to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for demonstrating your faithfulness as you did at this time of the judges, to your people. Father, you are so good, so patient as we started out, and we are reminded of your faithfulness that when we uh, perhaps uh, have fallen flat on our faces, it doesn't matter how long we've been there, we've just insisted on uh, staying, remaining in in our sin, Lord. At the moment, we are willing to humble ourselves and Repent of our sin and cry out to you for forgiveness. You are there to embrace us and bring us in close. Lord, remind us, continue to remind us of that. And help us instead to walk faithfully with you, blessing you and glorifying you in our lives. Also, Father, I ask that you would bless anything that is in our hands. Lord, may we be good stewards of whatever you've entrusted to us, that we may use it to your glory. So we are truly thankful once more for the grace and love that you have for each and every one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.